Welcome, everybody. This is Hear Her Sports, and I'm Elizabeth Emery. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is such a treat to have cross-country skier Elena Sonneson here today. She is a young skier, first-year pro, and just got back from early season volume training in New Zealand. She was born and raised in Plymouth, Minnesota, where she started skiing at three years old. She graduated from University of Vermont, where she competed on the Nordic ski team and in cross-country and track. We talk about that trip to New Zealand, some great details about cross-country skiing technique with some tips for climbing. Elena also talks about taking the plunge into a career as an athlete and what that transition has been like so far. She has signed on with a Stratton Mountain School's T2 elite team, which is and has been for a long time a team with many Olympic skiers. Currently on the team with her is Jesse Diggins. Jesse and Keegan Randall won an Olympic gold this past February in women's team sprint. It was the first ever U.S. cross-country ski gold medal. So fun. It was such an excellent race to watch, and I just love giving such rock star women a quick mention. As you will hear in our conversation, Elena is fundraising through GoFundMe for her first season as a pro. Her goals include World Cup races, a podium at U23 World Championships, and further into the future, a look at the 2022 Olympics. She has put together a special just for Hear Her Sports listeners. With a donation of just $20, she will mail you an autographed photo. Join me giving her a bit of support. It's going to be super fun following her through the season. Use the code HEARELENA or mention Hear Her Sports in the comments section of her GoFundMe page. Make sure to include your address so she knows where to mail the photo. Go to GoFundMe.com and search for Ski Sunny Ski. That's S-K-I-S-O-N-N-E-Y-S-K-I. All the details are in the episode notes at HearHerSports.com. Also in the episode notes, you will find links to stuff that came up in this episode, including places where she trains and races. There's also a link to rate Hear Her Sports on iTunes. And always tell your friends about the podcast. Spread the word on social media. You will find us at Hear Her Sports. Okay, let's get this going already. Elena and I start right into it with her decision to go pro right out of college. Why don't we start with sort of an introduction of of what you're up to, because I know you just graduated from the University of Vermont and have decided to go pro. What was that decision like? And what does it mean on a very practical level that you've gone pro? So a lot of cross-country skiers will graduate from high school and then either decide to take more of a recreational route with cross-country skiing or they will try to ski in college at an NCAA collegiate level. There are a couple times on very rare occasions that someone will skip college or forego jumping into college and just go straight into cross-country skiing. But I was one of the kind of, I'd say there are a good number of us who go and ski in college, but there are so many high school skiers that then choose to take a different path in life. So just to ski in college was kind of a big deal for me. And I was really excited to be at the University of Vermont skiing and so over the course of four years, I was able to really make some big jumps in my skiing abilities and my racing really became a lot more intense and my results definitely improved over four years. And so I had kind of been thinking about continuing my skiing after college for a couple of years throughout college, but I never really wanted to commit to it. 
or, you know, in my mind, it was something that I would think about, but to say it out loud, I think is a much bigger deal. And so it wasn't really until my senior year that I was, I decided, okay, yeah, I, I want to keep going after college. I want to see what I can do and try this professional ski life. And um, my parents were very supportive of it. All of my friends were very supportive of it, and my teammates and my coaches. And so that was really nice to hear that feedback and kind of build off of that and reassure myself that it was something that made sense to do and something that I wanted to do. And so from there, it was really picking a professional team somewhere in the country that I could join right out of college and somewhere that had support and a team atmosphere that I was excited to be around and a location that brought many opportunities and I would enjoy training with. And so um, that landed me at Stratton, Vermont. Yeah, explain how that team works. So it's partially funded here. And so the um, Stratton Mountain School has a an elite cross-country ski team that they created about seven years ago and ever since it was first born there have been olympians on the team so it's been at a really high level and even now about half of the team consists of olympians and one of them is jesse diggins who just won an olympic gold medal this past year she sure did that's awesome yeah (laughs) yeah which was very exciting. And um, so it's really cool to step onto a team that already the intensity is brought to a whole new level for me. And, um, you know, everyone's goals are different, but they are so encouraging of anything that I want or however they can help me get to what I want. And it's been a really welcoming team. And it's been really special to, I mean, the ski community is very small, so almost everyone kind of knows each other. But to really get to know some of my new teammates has been um, a really nice experience over the last few months. And what kind of support are you getting? So they're really, I say it's partially funded, but um, there really isn't a whole lot of support. There's a bit of a stipend to pay for summer housing and a few expenses throughout the ski season. But For the most part, people rely on individual sponsors, which as a fresh skier right out of college, I have yet to find a sponsor who is willing to help fund my sport and my career. Most of my teammates have sponsors, so they are set up pretty well that they can uh, rely on that for financial support. But I'm still working quite a few jobs, and you know my parents are very supportive of my decisions, but I don't want to rely solely on my parents to help me uh, ski the next couple of years. And so I'm trying to still search for sponsors and um, work as much as I can to get the most out of it. Yeah, what kind of jobs are you doing? Yeah, so I work once a week at a ski shop just in the village, which I live at the base of Stratton Mountain Resort. And so uh, there's a ski shop that is still, oddly enough, open during the summer and and fall that I work at once a week. And then I work at a little restaurant store about 
three nights a week and I'm serving tables there. And then I do some babysitting on the side and I've done a little bit of coaching with some younger athletes on the side as well. So sometimes I find some odd jobs here and there. What's it like looking for sponsors? I mean, how does that work? And, you know, are you trying to convince them, it sounds like, to give you actual cash? Right. Yeah. I mean, essentially, it's it's to help fund for plane tickets and lodging and food over in Europe. And so for the most part, that comes across as just cash that I can use. I have product sponsorship for skis and boots and whatever type of equipment that I need for my skiing. But in order to pay for those plane tickets, that's kind of the big issue. And so, yeah, it's it's really looking for someone to donate a lot of cash towards me, which is really hard to do. And it has been a little bit frustrating. You know, I might, I've gotten plenty of leads here and there, and I'm trying to channel my roots back to Minnesota, where I was born and raised, and then also use these Vermont roots that I've created over the last four or five years. But it has been challenging, and um, I'm still, I'm working towards a fundraiser that will happen next month, and I'm hoping that that will bring in a lot of revenue for the upcoming season. It's on November 8th at Gear West Ski and Bike Shop in Long Lake, Minnesota. Um, it was the local ski shop that I grew up going to whenever I was going to get a new pair of skis or um, needed special ski clothing or whatever it might be ski related. I would go to that ski and bike shop and, you know, they are very friendly and they kind of become like a family to any skier who is at kind of an intense level because you're working with them so much and so you might see workers out on the ski trails there and it's really cool because you get to know them pretty well and so it's a really nice shop and so the fundraiser is going to be a, a run from the store followed by a presentation given by me and then a silent auction at the end of the night which will hopefully bring in some donations Cool. So I want to go back to college for a little bit. You have said that it was one of the best decisions that you had made to go to college and to go to University of Vermont specifically. So why do you think that was such a great choice for you? Growing up in the Midwest, I was very much of a homebody and loved um, everything that had to do with being around my family and what I was used to. I liked the scheduled routine. And I didn't like to stray from the norm, or at least my norm. And so looking at skiing in college, I had a few different options. And one of them was to stay in the Midwest at another ski school closer to home. And I was really torn on what to do. And it, it was pretty much tied between University of Vermont and this other school. And I you know, tried to ask my parents, what do you think? And they wanted me to make a decision for myself. And they were, you know, there to be a soundboard for me, but they knew that it was something that I needed to decide. So I thought really long and hard about it. And I finally came to the conclusion that I wanted to step outside of my comfort zone. I figured for four years, it wouldn't be the hardest thing I've ever done. And I could at least try it and see how it went. And so I committed to going to the University of Vermont. You know, I had only been to the campus once before I committed. 
and it had been four years prior when I was looking at schools with my older sister. So I was barely paying attention to what was going on. And it was a little intimidating then to go there for the first time after and jump into school when I, I kind of knew what was going on, but I didn't really know where anything was. So there was, you know, a little bit of an adjustment there. But right away, I fell in love with Vermont. I fell in love with Burlington. And I um, originally was a nursing major my freshman year. And then I switched to a biochem major. And I loved all the classes that I took. They were extremely challenging and definitely were hard to get through. But I loved that challenge. And it definitely brought out a lot of grit inside me to get through some of those tough weeks of exams and practice and racing. And um, I'm pretty proud of what I was able to accomplish balancing both school and skiing. Yeah. What was it like to be such a, I don't know, such a committed athlete in, in college? And like, how much were you practicing? And what was your racing schedule like? Yeah, so in the fall, we practiced at least, well, so we had practice either once or twice a day, six days a week. And for me, I was practicing or training twice a day. Um, and some of that was on my own, just additional stuff that the coach recommended. For the most part, it was with my teammates. And so that would take up usually at least four to five hours every day. Wow. Honestly, there were some days where it would be more because once you add in travel time and, you know, the stress of getting to practice and then once you get to practice, we would drive to a place to go roller skiing for two hours and then we'd drive back and then you would have to go shower. And once you add all that up and then you're doing it twice a day, it really added up to be a lot. So it was a big time commitment to be on the ski team and to have such a rigorous course load also it didn't necessarily leave me with a whole lot of free time. So I tried as hard as I could to balance both of those things and succeed as much as I could at both of those things while still having a social life and getting, you know, what else I needed in life. And I love to cook and I love to read and I love to hate. I mean, I, I love, I'm a very social person. So part of that is something that I need in my life. And so I tried my best. There were definitely some points where I was kind of at my limit and couldn't quite, you know, I I needed to depend on someone else, whether that was my coach or my teammates or my roommates, to kind of get me through those hard times because there were times when I hadn't just relaxed for a week. I hadn't even taken 20 minutes to just, like, hang out. And so some of that was really hard, but... I think that with my type of personality, I almost feed off of that. And that encourages my, it encourages me more to keep going and to keep setting even higher goals, which could be a little bit of a spiral. Right. right. Do you have any advice for high schoolers that are thinking about doing what you just got finished doing? Yeah, definitely. Time management is so huge. And I mean, it's really hard to teach someone how to manage their time well and a lot of it is kind of learning on your own but if you can challenge yourself the earlier the better is to start um, learning how to deal with all of those stresses at once so that means 
taking an hour to focus on your studies. And then as soon as it's time for practice, you go to practice. And while you're at practice, you should focus on your training and what you can do to further your athletic abilities and be um, present with your coaches and your teammates. And then after practice, you can go back to your studies and then allow yourself those other moments that you might need to go socialize with friends or buy yourself some ice cream, whatever it might be. Those are the little things that add up and will kind of make you a happier person and then more productive when you need to be. It sounds like you're really good at at focusing on the thing that you're doing and not worry about all the other stuff that's sort of swirling around that. Yeah. And that was definitely something that I had to learn over four or five years. And so I think that, yes, at this point, I am pretty good at that, but it wasn't necessarily always <laughs> that way. So right. and some of that is kind of, there's just, you need that learning curve to it. Sure. Sure. I read somewhere, and now as you're talking, I'm wondering how this is possible, that you also ran track and cross country? I did. So I, I ran throughout high school as well. And so running was always something I, I loved so much. And I had gone into school thinking, oh, maybe I could try running track in the spring because then it's where we're off for the ski season. So it would be pretty manageable. And my first year... Um, in school, I tried running track in the spring, and I realized very quickly that my body was completely exhausted after the winter of racing that I had just done. And so I wasn't very successful my freshman year. And then my sophomore and junior year, I had been able to adjust and kind of that learning curve kicked in. And um, that time management helped a lot. And I figured out how I could balance that. And so I used the fitness that I had gained from skiing over the last nine months to then kind of channel towards track in the spring. And it ended up working out really well. And I was having a blast and I was racing well. And it was really fun to get to know another team at the school. So then there was just my senior year, I ran a couple of races for cross country as well in the fall, kind of on the side of training for skiing. I would jump into a few practices with the cross-country running team maybe once a week or so, and then I did about three or four races with them that fall. But you were obviously right from the start focusing on the skiing, it sounds like. Right, yeah. And the, the track coach knew that. The ski coach was very okay with me um, balancing the running as well because he knew that my focus was on skiing and that that wasn't going to change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And since we're sort of talking about off-season, you just got back from New Zealand for preseason training and a little bit of racing, too. So what exactly were you doing over there, and who were you with, and I don't know, what was it like? Yeah, so it was a U.S. ski team camp down in Wanaka, New Zealand. It was at the Snow Farm, which is about 45 minutes from Wanaka. And um, every year, the U.S. ski team members go down to New Zealand to ski on snow for three weeks and the past few years some of the clubs throughout the country have also decided to join them for that camp and so my Stratton Mountain teammates were all on their way down to New Zealand for the three-week camp and 
it was definitely a hard decision for me to make to go to that camp. How come? Um, mainly because of finances. It's a lot to commit to something that maybe is worth it and maybe isn't. Maybe I could get just as great of training while I'm in Vermont and not pay for a plane ticket around the world and for lodging and food in New Zealand. And so that was was kind of hard for me. But I finally decided to commit to it and go for it. And I think that that's kind of what this year is all about for me is to committing to something. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to commit completely to skiing after graduating college. And I want to do that to the best of my ability. So that was what kind of pushed me towards going on this trip. So I went down there and immediately I knew I had made such a great choice to commit to that because it was just so astonishing how beautiful it was. And you're just kind of skiing on magical snow in like fairy tale like mountains that are just you can never get bored because you just look around and you think to yourself, wow, this is absolutely incredible. And so that was one of the best trips I've ever been on in my life. And so we were down there training on snow for three weeks. And during the third week, we actually had a couple of races as well. I competed in um, one of the marathon races that they had. And um, that was really fun for me because that was my first marathon ski race I had ever done. And I definitely learned a lot about fueling before, during, and after a marathon ski race. But it was a perfect day for the race, and it was a ton of fun. And then um, we had a couple other races throughout the week that I definitely felt the marathon during those races, and so they were a little bit harder for me, but it was still great training and always good to get some racing in before the season. How long was the marathon? It was 42 kilometers. Oh, that's long. How long did it take you? Just under, let's see, I think it was just under two hours. Mm -hmm. What event do you normally do? So I, I am kind of a distance skier throughout college. In cross-country skiing, there's anything from a sprint race, which is like 1.4K, all the way up to a marathon, like those 42Ks, or there's sometimes a 50K. In college, I had never been exposed to many marathon races, and so we mainly did 5Ks or 15Ks. And I definitely prefer like a 15 to 20, maybe 30K. That's what I'm happiest doing. So how did you do in the marathon? I placed third. Oh, that's high. awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, congratulations. That's really great. Thank you. Yeah. You learned about fueling. So tell me a little bit about that. What did you learn? So um, I knew that it was going to be a long day of racing and so I'd eaten plenty the night before and plenty for breakfast. What did you have? I always like to ask about what people are eating. So what did you have the night before? Yeah, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what I had the night before, but they in New Zealand, they don't really make a whole lot of pasta. It's more so rice. And so I think I had rice, a lot of rice, and they have they had plenty of different meats for each meal. And so I think I maybe had lamb the night before also just to get a little extra protein and then a big salad. I wanted to make sure that I had plenty of the carbohydrates. So I ate lots of rice. And then the next morning I had oatmeal with just a little bit of yogurt and a banana. And then I waited a little bit. The race didn't start until 10. So I had some time to eat breakfast and 
waited a little bit and had another piece of toast with an egg on it also and a couple cups of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I figured that was enough to eat. Then when I was kind of getting my skis ready right before the race, I was drinking some sports drink and maybe 10 minutes before the race, I had had a couple of cliff shot blocks just to give myself, like, make sure I had plenty of energy right off the start. And I knew that there would be coaches out there with feeds during the race, but I wanted to make sure I was ready before I got to that point where I said, oh my gosh, I need a feed now. So I had taken the, like, I drank some of that drink mix and then those two shot blocks. And I felt great for the first, maybe, 10k and I was right with first and second and I was leading some of it and I was having a blast and then all of a sudden I started getting this really bad stomach cramp and I was like oh man this kind of sucks and I was trying to hang on and one of my teammates it was actually Jesse was skiing with me and she was like are you okay what's up and I said you just you need to go without me because something's wrong and so the pack kind of feet away from me, which was kind of sad to see, but I really knew something was going on. And so a couple of kilometers later, I actually was just tucking down a hill and threw up a little bit. (laughs) Um, And I just turned off to the side and, you know, took care of it. And (laughs) it was like less than a minute later, I felt fabulous and I was ready to go. After that, I was able to take feeds and ski really, like I pretty much kept the same gap that had developed during that stomach cramp. And so I was kind of bummed because I think if that hadn't happened, I would have been able to stay with them the whole race. But, you know, uh, just another learning experience. Yep. Yep. So what do you think happened? I think it was just the sugar right before the race. Maybe my stomach didn't like that, Hmm. you know, because I took sugar feeds during the race, but I think maybe it was just too much right before. Mm hmm. I'm going back a little bit, but you talked about making the decision to go to New Zealand. And you also have talked about the decision to go to college. So how are you making those decisions? And it seems like you're good at it because you're making decisions that you're quite happy with. Yeah. You know, I use my parents a lot as a soundboard and they totally want the best for me and they want me to chase these dreams that I have. And they're so encouraging of me. And so they understand kind of the position that I'm in because I talk to them about every type of opportunity that is presented to me. And sometimes they don't necessarily tell me what they think I should or shouldn't do, but they help me talk through it and figure out what's best for me. And then also um, my coaches, you know, my coach at the University of Vermont, I relied on a lot about decisions like that and the coach here at Stratton Mountain was a great soundboard again to just kind of bounce ideas back and forth and go through the pros and cons and I think that discussing those pros and cons with other people out loud makes a big difference and to me it's like you know writing down a pros and cons list yeah I can I can write it down but I already know I know what the pros and cons are and so I think speaking about them out loud helps a lot. That's good advice. Mm -hmm. So what kind of training did you do while you were in New Zealand? Like really specifically, how much were you 
skiing each day and things like that. And are you doing intervals and speed training and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So it was majority a volume camp. And so in the morning we would go out and ski for maybe two and a half hours. And then in the afternoon we would ski for another hour and a half or so. Some days we would switch that up and we would go running down in Wanaka for like three or four hours or we would do a strength workout in the afternoon for an hour. So it was kind of, you know, not necessarily the exact same thing every day, but it was usually around four hours of on time of training each day. And then there were only, I'd say, three days where we did scheduled intervals. And so over three weeks, you know, that's only about once a week, but then you add in those races that we did. And then we did, I think, two or three speed workouts also. So that's where we set up different stations and we really work on either our starts or, you know, skiing through a transition really well and smoothly, something like that. Are most skiers going to someplace where they can ski at this time of year? Most skiers at the level that I'm kind of breaking into yes not really many college skiers are because they're so busy with other college things related and then internationally I would say most world cup skiers are trying to find some sort of on snow opportunities right right what events are you targeting for this season so um, I'm really looking forward to our U.S. nationals which are um, the first week of January And there's four races there. There's two sprints and two distance races, which I would say I'm more so looking forward to the distance races. But I've also been trying to become a much better sprinter. So I'm excited for those as well. And then I'm hoping that I can race well enough at U.S. Nationals to qualify for the under 23 World Championships, which I've qualified for the last two years. But Um, it's always tough competition to get on that team. And after that, I'm hoping I can ski throughout Europe at various races and either have the chance to jump into a World Cup or race at World Cup finals, which are in Quebec City this year. So there's a few goals that I have that are kind of maybe an easier reach. And then there's a few more far out there goals. And the World Cup season, so you haven't done one of those yet, right? I have not. No, okay. I've raced in the World Cup. Okay. And how do how does that team selected? So it's the U.S. ski team. So in the spring, USSA nominates the U.S. ski team every year. And for the most part, it's pretty consistent from year to year. And, you know, whoever is on the team, it makes sense based off of their results. So the U.S. ski team makes up most of the World Cup team then, and there is one spot on the World Cup for what's called the Continental Cup leader. And so we have races throughout the country during the winter called the Super Tour, and that brings all of the national-level skiers together. And at the end of the year, we have a Super Tour leader who has competed and raced the fastest consistently throughout the year. And so then that super tour leader also gets a spot on the World Cup for the first period. 
of the World Cup season. And then throughout the season, that Continental Cup leader kind of changes because of the races happening domestically. Mm-hmm. And is that Continental Cup leader, is that usually a younger skier? Um, not necessarily. It could be anyone. It, it's really anyone who's between usually the ages of 22 to 30, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the range of those professional skiers within the U.S. who are trying to make it on the U.S. ski team and onto the World Cup. It's usually about 22 to 30 years old. Right. So what are your goals, like, really specifically for this coming year and also maybe, I don't know, five, ten years down the line? Yeah, so this coming year I'm hoping I can get a podium at U.S. Nationals. I was fourth, the fourth American last year, so it would be really cool to get on that podium and hopefully top five or top ten at U23s this year also. And then making it to world champs or world cup finals would be a huge success for me and definitely on my goals list for this upcoming season. And also I, I want to make sure that I transition well from college into professional skiing. And I think that there will be um, quite a bit of an adjustment for me and there already has been, which it's gone really well, but Um, It is a transition and the racing from November through March is very different than in college when we're racing basically January and February and that's kind of it. So um, I'm hoping that the transition will go well for me. And then in the next coming years, I, you know, the um, 2022 Olympics are definitely in my mind and that would be a huge goal for me to reach and um, I can't quite say how much further after that I would ski but as of right now I'm kind of taking it day by day and year by year seeing how things go but I'm definitely in it for quite a few more years now. Cool. You talked a little bit about the transition. What has been sort of the difficult parts and what have been the easy parts for you in terms of you know transitioning from college into this new life? Yeah so as it may have already come across. I was a very busy person in college and all throughout my life. I was pretty much on my feet running around either athletically or socially. I was doing something. And so to transition into a lifestyle where I'm training and then I'm supposed to rest and my feet up and, you know, watch movies during the day that's been really weird for me. And I mean, it's kind of awful for me to complain about like just relaxing, but it's, it's kind of hard for me and the recovery process that it requires in order to make that next level. Like that takes a lot of patience to get through. And I find myself being very bored on a number of occasions. And when I get bored, I get agitated and frustrated. And so that's been a hard transition for me. I'd say one of the easier transitions is just being able to focus on skiing when I am skiing, you know, even though as much as I said I try to be I tried to be present whenever I was at practice in college, there's always distractions and there's always something going on. But now I can really when I'm training, I'm training and I know what I'm doing and I can really dial in on that. That's cool. You also said that you like to read. So I mean, that's probably good. You're reading a lot of books now, I bet. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to. Sometimes it's hard when Netflix is so easy. And (laughs) I I do enjoy reading. And um, sometimes I go through waves of, you know, I'll read 
a book in a week or it'll take me a month to read a book. And What are you but, reading right now? Um, I'm reading a book called A Constellation of Vital Phenomena, and it's about a little girl growing up in Chechnya during the 2000s. Cool. So, yeah. Great. So I want to talk a little bit about training and, you know, how you got started skiing. And I know you started very young and you have a family that's very sporty. So what was it like being on such a sporty, in sporty family? You know, I got really fed up with it. <laughs> I was really little. I did not, when I was super little, I did not want to go skiing. I did not want to go for a run. I liked playing soccer, but that was pretty much it. And my parents would, you know, reward me after skiing for 30 minutes. They'd say, okay, you can have a hot chocolate. And that, that's why I would do it. The, that incentive was enough for me or, okay, we'll buy you a cookie if you ski for another 20 minutes. And <laughs> they would bring Jolly Ranchers with me on the trail and give me a Jolly Rancher every 10 minutes. And so stuff like that really got me out. How long did that go on? That went on pretty much until middle school. And then my sister, my older sister had joined the running team and the ski team. And it seemed like she was having fun. And we had this little running race one afternoon in middle school. And I, I can't remember how exactly I did, but I remember I had a blast and I did pretty well. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And like, I got a medal and I think everyone got a medal, but for whatever reason, I was like, oh, this is awesome. So then um, my parents convinced me to join a summer running program at our high school. I was still in middle school at the time, but my sister was doing it. And so I figured I would tag along. And at first I kind of hated it, but then, you know, they had like treats at the end. And so I was like, okay, I can keep going. And then I got a lot more excited about it. And I started racing that fall and then my, it came the winter and my sister was ski racing. And so I decided to join the ski racing team and realized that I was a lot better on my skis than a lot of other kids were because I had grown up doing it. And so I kind of had that more so natural coordination for skiing. And I think that that success kind of fired me up for more. And so then I started training. And ever since then, I kind of became a little bit addicted to it. And I love training now. And um, I always kind of wanted more, more. And how do I become stronger? And, you know, I'd someone said at one point, oh, your upper body is really weak. And so then I was like, well, I'm gonna fix that. And I started trying to do as many pull ups as I could. And that kind of fed off of itself. And everything. How many pull-ups can you do? Um, the most I've ever done is 23. Oh my gosh. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you like training or competing bet more? You know, I think training without competing would be awful and competing without training would be awful. And so it's <laughs> hard to pick one because I've done races where, you know, the early training season, I've jumped into a race where I'm kind of out of shape and it sucks to race when you're out of shape. So I love competing, but only when I am in good shape and, and racing well and whatever it might be. I just kind of have that aggressive personality and competitiveness that I love to get after it. I love that answer. That's probably my favorite answer I've heard because <laughs> I ask that question a lot. So that was, that's great. 
uh, because I agree with you. I do not like to start on that line when I'm not ready. So Yeah, yeah. It's not fun. No. So I, I've done a fair amount of cross-country skiing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, I know I'm in decent shape, not great shape, but good shape. But I can get blown away by people who are less good shape but have really good technique. So, like, what are the key elements of good technique to be really fast? Um, Definitely balance. And that is a huge thing. I mean, if you don't have any balance or coordination at all, then you can kind of kiss cross-country skiing goodbye because you're putting almost all of your weight on one foot at a time that is on top of this tiny little ski that is super long, but not even, it's, it's not even as wide as your foot. And so you think, well, how am I supposed to just like put all my weight on that and glide? And that's where you really need the balance. So I think balance and coordination are the biggest things. And then once you get into the technique, a lot of it is comes from your core actually, and channeling your core into whatever you're do doing like whether you're skate skiing or classic skiing and that's really important to focus on in training I would say and the technique can make a huge difference because if you are kind of just you know casually using your arms to ski but not with that great of technique versus actually engaging your muscles and getting them into the right position where you can put force and power into each stroke, then you're going to ski a lot faster. So you're thinking a lot about your upper body. Yeah. You know, I think a coach back in high school told me that cross country skiing is the only sport that uses every muscle in your body. And I think it really does. You know, it uses everything in your legs, everything in your arms, your back, your core, your heart, your lungs, your brain. It uses everything you could think of. Are you still working on technique? Are you still working on balance and things like that? Yeah, definitely. There's, I think that there's always room for improvement. Even people like Jessie Diggins, who has won an Olympic gold medal, she will work on balance and technique and whatever it might be. And there are some people who, yeah, have incredible technique and might be the kind of model for everyone else in the world, but they still have things that they could kind of tweak or adjust that might be even a little bit faster and more efficient. And so for the most part, everyone at the level I'm at has gotten to the point where they have pretty good technique, but there are always little adjustments you can make to increase that efficiency in skiing. Mm-hmm. What are you working on? Um, well, I could go into the uh, technical aspects of it. Please. Um, <laughs> I would say, you know, in my double pole, I'm working on bringing my arms out a little and my hands a little bit further apart from each other, but then a little bit closer to my body so that when I'm putting all of my weight and power into each double pole stroke, that it's at an angle where all of that force can actually be utilized. You know, if your hands are way too far forward or way too close to your body, then if you think about it in terms of physics, you're not actually going to get a lot of force out of that. And so you kind of have to find like that sweet spot. And so for me, it's just adjusting it, you know, a little bit, but it's adjusting a little bit so that it becomes habit and I don't have to forcefully think about it when I'm racing. 
that's kind of the biggest thing with technique is, yeah, sure, maybe anyone could do it if they're thinking really hard about it during training and they're going slow. But to be able to do that when they're racing and they're thinking about everything else going on, that's kind of where it adds up and um, gets to be a lot more challenging. Are you doing both skate, ski, and classic? Um, yep. Everyone does skate and classic. It's kind of just the way of the game. Got it. And uphill, are there things that that you can offer advice about going uphill and getting up fast? You kind of have to take your time to save time when you're going uphill. And by that, I mean actually getting glide on your skis mm. and um, allowing yourself to glide. And that's still something that I'm working on is um, during a sprint race, if there's a hill, all I can do, because I'm not much of a sprinter and I don't have a ton of fast twitch, I'm just thinking, go, 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 go as fast as I can. And I need to start transitioning into thinking more like, okay, go fast, but go forcefully with a lot of power and make sure I'm gliding on my skis. And if you transition into that, then that ends up actually being a lot faster. I mean, is it a moment of rest sort of in that glide portion? Um, yes and no. There is that moment of rest, but it's such a split moment of rest when you're racing that, and there's so many other things going on and that you're thinking about, you know, a lot of the times I'll think about my breathing and say, okay, like, wow, this is really hard. Well, like slow down your breathing, make sure you're getting as much air in as you can and as much, uh, you know, CO2 out as you can with, with each breath. And so, Yes, there might be that brief, you know, millisecond of rest, but it goes by pretty fast and you're usually preoccupied mentally. Right, right. Um, so at the end of the race on TV, you always see the racers fall down at the end. Is that like, talk about that a little bit. Um, it always so seems I so dramatic, but also, as you said, you're using every single muscle in the body during skiing. Yeah, I've definitely, I go back and forth on this because sometimes I see that and I think it's so dramatic as well. And I think, you know, when I finish a ski race, for the most part, I stay on my feet and I try to stay on my feet because I think that it's being way too dramatic to fall over. But sometimes there are days when it, you really just gave it absolutely everything you could for that entire race. And you cross that, like, I mean, you want to finish that race maybe five minutes before you actually did finish that race. And so you had to keep going for an extra five minutes. So to get across that line, it's like the saving grace. And, you know, you like immediately your head shuts down, your body shuts down and you just have to collapse. So I do go back and forth on it, but sometimes it is really necessary. And after using every muscle in your body, it's really hard to stay up. Well, I'm glad I asked you that question. So what's next for you? So I am in Vermont for the next month or so training with my team and loving the Vermont fall. And then I head um, back home to Minnesota for my fundraiser in November. And then we head out west to West Yellowstone for kind of a season kickoff, which is over Thanksgiving. There's a big ski festival in West Yellowstone. So um, a lot of that is just skiing around. It's not too much um, racing at all, but there's one race at the end of the week that I will compete in. And then our um, season kind of kicks off um, what I had mentioned earlier with those super tours. And so we've got super tours out West for a couple weeks. 
I get to go home for Christmas. And pretty much from there, I'm on the road the rest of the time and racing at U.S. Nationals and then hopefully over in Europe. So it's really sneaking up on us. <laughs> yeah. When does the season end? Um, it ends like end of March. Okay. There's, um, they're called Super Tour Finals. And so the World Cup team and the U.S. ski team all come back from Europe and everyone really comes together for those final races. And do you do you think you have a good chance at the Super Tours, some of those races? Yeah, I think, you know, I've done Super Tours here and there throughout the last four or five years. And it's never been a huge focus of mine just because I've been busy with college races. But I'm hoping to definitely have a couple podiums on those Super Tour races. And it's pretty much the same group of people who are at U.S. Nationals. So mm, yeah. if it's a goal of mine to be on the podium at U.S. Nationals. It's definitely a goal of mine to be on the podium at those Super Tours. Sure. And are there some races that you like better than others? And have you sort of plotted out your season in terms of A races and B races? Um, I would say only in terms of distance versus sprint races. And like I said, I prefer distance racing and maybe a little bit I'll lean more on those distance races and maybe mentally for me it's kind of a break to do those sprint races but I'll still do them and I'll still you know try my hardest to do as well as I can but because I just don't have that natural fast twitch some of it is just like a little bit of a limitation to what I can do sprinting. And are there more marathons for you this season? That kind of depends on what my what I qualify for and whether or not I'm in Europe for the whole season or not. And if I am not in Europe for the entire season, then I might come back to um, the Midwest and do what's called the American Berkebiner in February, which is kind of the, the biggest ski race of citizen skiers, I would say, in the country. Well, cool. And I always like to ask about food, as I said. So what do you like to cook? What's your favorite breakfast? Well, for breakfast, I usually have oatmeal, but I always give it a little different spin. And so sometimes it'll be like cinnamon and apple oatmeal, or sometimes I love adding Greek yogurt to my oatmeal and berries and a little bit of granola and peanut butter. So I think that you can quickly, you know, someone might say oatmeal and you're like, oh, that's gross. But you can quickly add in a lot of other stuff that makes it pretty yummy. And then on my off days, I love pancakes for breakfast, pancakes or waffles, just allowing myself to kind of take that off day and relax a little and just treat myself. That's kind of what I do as a treat. And then um, to cook other things, I grew up always cooking with my mom and she's an amazing chef and so I just have kind of some random recipes that I like to make when I'm away from home just to kind of remind me of my family and home and everything like that and so I love making risotto and pastas and I try to always incorporate a salad into those meals just to make sure I'm well nourished and I am a strong believer on eating my fruits and vegetables, but rewarding myself with a treat every night. Very good. And on a personal note, it was really fun to see that you're on the same team as Kelsey Finney. One of my favorite stories is that uh, Davis Finney came to the cycle club where I started racing and gave a talk. One of my fondest memories ever. He was an awesome talk. 
Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that if, if you knew the Finneys at all. Because, yeah, I live with Kelsey, actually. Oh, how about that? Cool. Yeah. Say hello. I don't, I mean, he wouldn't remember me at all. But, um, yeah. yeah, really exciting. And, of course, fan of Connie. Uh-huh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And anything else that I didn't ask that you want to talk about? Not that I can think of. I really want to thank you, though, for reaching out to me and taking the time to do this. Yeah, it was really cool to be a part of this. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. I'm glad I found I found you. It probably was your third place in New Zealand that allowed me to find you, I think. Oh, really? Wow, cool. Yeah. Well, good luck. And I'm certainly going to be watching you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to you for listening. Hear Her Sports was started to increase media coverage of female athletes and women in sport. 44% of athletes are women, and only 4% of sports media coverage is about women. That's not a number, it's a rounding error. Tell your friends about the podcast and about fantastic, strong women speaking up and doing amazing things. Please subscribe on iTunes, subscribe to the Hear Her Sports newsletter, or donate on hearhersports.com and encourage others to do the same. As women, we're all going to benefit from spreading the word and speaking up, women in general, you, me, and my inspiring guests. A big thank you to Agnes Studio, the band Goldmines, the blog She Rides a Bike, and Leap Strategies for super support and partnership. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye-bye. It was kind of the last minute. The baby started crying and the four-year-old wanted to play more and it was, yeah. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.